tú me pones un, un éxito. Si, si tú no quieres hablar conmigo, dímelo para yo no llamarte ni molestarte, porque nada más quedaba tú. Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah! Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. This is your host and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker movement, Jules Dujay. We have another amazing show in store for you. But before we begin, I want to remind everyone that this platform was built because often we were overlooked. We were labeled and put in boxes. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Today's show, I'd like to welcome a man that's done incredible work in an area that many people know of, but they're really not too familiar to the extent of how deep mental health and pets work together. Today's guest is author and speaker, pet lover, Larry Grogan. He began his journey with pet therapy at a local hospital with a pup called Scrappy, his five pound furball. He quickly became a rock star with the children and the healthcare staff. He saw the massive of benefits that little Scrappy was bringing to everyone she met. So Larry began his quest to integrate pet therapy into schools and colleges alike. He is now an educator on numerous benefits of campus pet therapy and can share a simple blueprint to create pet therapy programming. His therapy can be partnered with campus community outreach, midterms, finals, wellness, activities, and for themes like adoption, awareness, and service status, etc. He's also a author who wrote a great book, award-winning book titled A Tale of Love, Live Lessons from Scrappy, a Therapy Dog. Larry is committed to improving the lives of students and giving them the emotional support they need to stay on course and finish their campus experience as best they can. Larry is a wealth of knowledge, and it is a pleasure to have you on our show. Welcome, sir. How are you? Great, Jules. Thank you so much. We are so excited. And I know that when you and I began our conversations and you began telling me about Scrappy, I just was in a mood with the with the length of information that you were able to share. So I'm excited to hear about those adventures. But for now, can you tell me about what you're doing currently? Tell us about yourself and how you got into this work. Yeah, so my in my day job, if you will, I am an investment manager. I own an investment firm. But what mm -hmm. my real passion is, is to get pet therapy implemented on college campuses. And that's really what I'm focused on. And there's a lot of rationale to that. The main reason is, one, if you speak with college administrators, they'll tell you, well, we do have uh, pet therapy on campus. And it's true. About 60% of colleges already have it. But here's the issue. They only do it twice a year. They do it during exam times. And my response is, well, if you think students are only stressed during exams, then that's the perfect solution. But we know better than that. College students have stress throughout the year. So then what are you gonna do for them the rest of the year? And so what I've attempted to do is work with administrators to get their students, faculty and staff who have dogs 
who have an interest in learning about pet therapy and then have an interest in getting involved in the philanthropic side of pet therapy and create your own pet therapy organization right there on your college campus. So now you've got a program that's designed by the campus for the campus. And that way, hopefully there's enough people participating that you can have pet therapy on a year round basis, not just once or twice a year. That sounds amazing. And for me, when I thought about pet therapy, I always thought about mental health. And sometimes I know working with children, I've come across a lot of times that kids love the pets and those that are in need of emotional support count on our little friends to kind of help them out. For you, how is pet therapy and mental help kind of together in the same? What's your opinion about that? Well, there's no question that it helps mental health. I mean, the, the research has been documented by UCLA Health that the simple act of petting a dog releases hormones that are generated from the brain and then they get circulated throughout the body. And those hormones do a variety of different things. One is lower our blood pressure. They lower our heart rate. They reduce anxiety. But the one thing that I found particularly interesting and why I'm so focused on college campuses is that while those three aspects are occurring, our mental alertness actually increases. So what better way to utilize pet therapy than on a college campus? Because you know that these are individuals, whether it's students, faculty, or staff that are under stress. So if you can provide a mechanism to lower those stress anxieties, at the same time, increase the mental alertness, then they go off into their classroom and they're a little bit more attentive to what they're actually hearing, to what they're being taught. And so for me, It just became a natural fit to stress the importance and the medical benefits of pet therapy to universities themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, was this a tough sell for you? How did you go upon finding that connection and how was that coming into play for you here? It was, um, honestly, you know, it was by accident, to be perfectly honest with you. One of the things that occurred is that when the book was published, and I will say right up front, I had no intentions of ever writing a book and certainly no intentions of ever publishing a book, Um, but it happened. And so then I got affiliated with an organization called Bradley Communication, and they began to open up ideas for me based on research. They opened up the opportunity for me to engage with individuals like yourself who have a beautiful platform to share a story and to get a message across. And so I just kept using that. And the more that I did it, the more I began to reflect internally myself and began to understand the real significance. But when it really hit home, was I was in Denver, Colorado doing a book signing. And whenever I do a book signing, I invite a local pet therapy organization to join me. I want dogs around me. And so when people come in, they can not only buy the book, get an autograph for the book, whatever, 
the most important thing is for them to experience what pet therapy really is. And so when I was speaking with one of the ladies with this organization, she told me, she was like, we have one of the largest pet therapy organizations in the country. They've got 300 teams. And she said, I could have 1,300 and not have enough. And I started asking her, I said, what do you mean? How could you not have enough pet therapy teams at 1,300? She says, it's real simple. The demand is simply greater than the supply. And that's really what prompted me on my journey to figure out, number one, what's the issue? Why aren't there more? And what can we do about it? And so that really is what put me on the path. And because when you think about where we are today, there's only 50,000 certified pet therapy teams in the entire United States. 50,000, that's it. But when you compare that to the number of just college students, there's nearly 20 million college students. You know, that's one dog for every 400 students. The, the numbers just don't work. You don't have to be a mathematician to figure that out. And then when you add in kindergarten through high school, it goes from one for every 400 to like one to every 1,400. It just becomes overwhelming. And so I began to realize that the current base of pet therapy teams look like me mm. you know we're old and gray and there's just a certain number of teams that are going to roll out because of age and then there's going to be a certain number of teams that roll in but we still all look the same you know so that 50,000 is never going to vary that much over the course of time so I just sat down and said well where are the largest populations that I could go to one are corporations and the other is universities. And so I began to focus on universities for a variety of different reasons. One is not only to address the mental health issues that college campuses have, but the other major issues that research will tell you that they deal with is there's still large discrimination issues. There's still um, identity issues. There's still a lack of engagement, a lack of socialization. And so when you combine all that with the mental health, a dog is the perfect solution hmm. because you put a dog anywhere and there's going to be a group of people that are going to gravitate to it. They're going to want to pet it. They're going to want to say hello. And then the pet therapy just becomes the bonus. So that was part of it. The other part was to address the 50,000 because the only way that we're going to increase that number significantly is to get a younger group of pet therapy philanthropists involved. And so if I can get it established on a college campus of responsible young adults, get them to engage with their own immediate community right there on campus, by the time they graduate, they've had their own personal pet therapy experiences. They've got an appreciation and a love for what pet therapy is. And hopefully they're gonna carry on with that into their adult life. So this is how we can actually gravitate from 50 to 200,000 and then gravitate the age of the current pet therapy groups that are out there for everyone to enjoy. Great stuff. 
and the information is rich. I, I'm just thinking right now, like my wheels are like turning. Languages, we say dogs speak every language. Is that something that when you go into the colleges, well, we're going to work with the Spanish population. This is how we're going to work. Or is, it, is that something you guys think about? I don't think it as separate like that. Think of it as collectively. I don't want to. I don't want to separate and divide. What I want to do is bring people together, mm. and that's what pet therapy can do. In fact, when I speak on college campuses, my talk is broken down in the format of like a, a college curriculum. I talk about the science and medical benefits. Then I talk about the business side of it, but business with regards to what the impact is on universities. Mm -hmm. And then the last part is the humanity side of it. So when I start the conversation, I'd like to have four or five empty chairs on the stage with me. And then as we get to the humanity side, I will select just randomly four or five people to come up and sit there and I'm gonna ask them, do you know each other? Have you ever met each other? And then I bring the dog out. It could be mine. It could be another pet therapy dog from the community. And the purpose of that is to demonstrate dogs don't care who you are. Hmm. They don't care if you're black, white, brown. They don't care if you're male, female. They don't care what your identity is. They're not going to ask. They don't care what your engagement is. But the one beautiful thing that's going to happen is that these individuals that never met or spoke to each other before, when they're around a dog, they're gonna start communicating. They're gonna start engaging with people that they ordinarily never would have engaged with. And so the dog has the opportunity to break those barriers and make the campus hopefully a much more holistic and harmonious campus so that everybody's gonna be interested in each other and not be afraid to engage with each other. That is great information. And I'm just, as you're speaking, I'm visualizing this. You have students that may have not spoken to one another before. Now there's a connection. Is there a stipend for, for students when they get involved in on the pet therapy team? Is there, how, how does that work? No, there, there's, there's not a stipend. Here, here's how it would work. Number one, it has to be students, faculty, or staff that already have a dog. Okay, that's the first requirement. Mm -hmm. Then as they've got to have an interest in learning what pet therapy is because pet therapy is a very structured event. There's training that's involved. There's a certification process that you have to go through and then you have to buy insurance. So then you can become a pet therapy team. And the insurance is a very important part of it because that's the one fear that every single college campus has liability. Mm -hmm. And so by going through the training and certification process for pet therapy, you can justify that your dog has been um, thoroughly, thoroughly vetted, excuse mm -hmm. me, and has demonstrated the abilities to socialize with humans and provide the benefits that pet therapy offers. And so that then becomes the major issue. So on average, it's about a hundred bucks a year, but here's the commitment that we've made to the students and to the universities. You know, when I founded Delta Omega Gamma, I made the commitment that 
I know students have financial stress. I don't want to add to it. We're going to pay their, excuse me, we will pay their expenses ourselves. And I'm assuming that the faculty and staff are being compensated enough through their salary, they can afford a hundred bucks a year. And so that's really what it comes down to. I want to create that incentive to get students involved, to get them participating so that not only can we increase our numbers, but these are individuals that once they start participating in pet therapy, they're gonna create their own memories, just like Scrappy and I did, that will impact them for the rest of their lives. And that's the real significance. You just brought Scrappy up. And, and to me, that's this is the star of the show here. Tell us about how you and Scrappy came together. Well, a lot of people ask if she was a rescue dog, and I say not in the traditional sense. And what I mean by that was at the time we were living in upstate New York, and I was going out with a young lady who actually got scrappy, but she also had a four-year-old that was just too rough and too difficult for scrappy to try to manage. And we ended up stopped seeing each other. And so we both agreed that it was in everybody's best interest that Scrappy come with me. So in that sense, she was rescued, but not in the traditional sense that we know dogs to be rescued. In your book, you cite that you want to attempt, you know, to transform Scrappy's achievements into life lessons for us. Tell us about that a bit. Well, you know, when she passed away, Jules, I was crushed, absolutely crushed. We were together for 12 and a half years. We were a team for eight. And I was you know, just at a loss. I just did not know what to do. So I would every day take a corner of a piece of paper and write her a note. It could be very simple. But then I'd fold it up and we had her cremated and I put it in with her ashes. Well, those notes became letters and then the letters became stories. And so over the course of time, it gave me the opportunity to reflect on everything that we had done together, whether it was at the children's hospital or just going on a trip or visiting someone or going to our Rotary Club, whatever it might've been. And that book, as I began to write it, um, I began to realize that there was a message associated with everything that I was writing. And so I began to take those messages and just transform them into what I call life lessons. I just want everyone to know that these were the life lessons I think Scrappy was teaching me. And hopefully they will touch someone else and make them understand that um, you know, we can learn from everybody. You know, it, whether it's two legs or four legs, it doesn't matter. There's an opportunity to learn no matter where we are at any given time. As a pet lover, I truly understand the difficulty that is. I had a pet for 17 years, uh, Scooter, a Cocker Spaniel was my first dog. And, and after his loss, it really took me some time. Very difficult. I have a new little pup, Lily. Um, Shih Tzu, she's not as friendly, she's a lot cuter. <laughs> uh, tell me about 
how did you cope with change? This really took me a long time. What were what were things that for the, for those oh. of us that don't own pets and they are listening now, you can you can tell them they they just don't understand. Well, you know, for me, Jules, again, it was that loss of routine. You know, a dog is dedicated to your life and it's expecting you to care for them. And when that is no longer the necessity, you know, we as humans lose something. Hmm. For me, it was as simple as just walking out at the end of the day, going into the backyard to play with Scrappy. That was lost. I, you know, I still went out to the backyard, but I was staring at emptiness. And so for me, that's when I started turning to the writing and trying to understand a little bit and just reflect internally. And that helped a lot. Um, of course, it didn't bring Scrappy back, but it helped me um, create a legacy for it is really what I was doing. But I would just suffer and cry every single day. I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, there's a, a chapter in my book called Bring Your Tears or Bring Your Emotions to Tears. And I'm a great example of that. Um, I cried constantly. And so for me, it was just getting involved in the writing. Once the book became published, that became another diversion because I was doing other things. But my heart is always with Scrappy. That's never going to change. Um, but it was it was tough. I mean, it was really hard. It took four years for me to get a new dog. And I just mm -hmm. got a new dog. But it's been it was four years. My heart was not ready. And for whatever reason, as we approached the fourth anniversary of Scrappy's passing, um, my heart began to open up to be willing to accept a new life in mine. Your book was a smash. Great piece. And, and, and so my question for you is so many great adventures that you and Scrappy had together. What was like the most memorable and where were you guys? Well, easily the most memorable were at the children's hospital. And, and there were two. Um, I'll try to get, through them without shedding too many tears. But the thing about pet therapy with Scrappy and I, um, number one, I never knew the name of a child. For eight years, never knew the name of a child. I never asked what their ailment was, unless it was obvious. But there was one particular time that we entered the hospital and the first place we always went was the nursing station. Um, because those individuals need and took as much time with Scrappy as any of the patients. They are just, they're amazing people under incredible stress. So we made sure that we spent as much time with the nurses as possible. But Scrappy was so well known that you immediately start hearing Scrappy being yelled from all corners of the building. This particular day, we had a nurse that we had worked with many times before come around the corner and say, can you come see me first? Absolutely. And unfortunately, you could hear a child crying from that far away. He was crying that loud. 
And what happened was he was going through chemotherapy and he was getting hooked up. He was crying. He knew it was going to hurt. And Scrappy and I went in. And as soon as we went in, he calmed down. He knew Scrappy. This was not the first time that we had ever seen him. And so I just put Scrappy on the bench right next to him. I sat on the other side of Scrappy. And he just, you know, just started patting her. Never stopped. Now, the crying never completely stopped. But trust me, it came way down. And at one point, his mother was with him. And he said, Mom, it's burning. It's burning, Mom. And she says, honey, I know. Just focus on Scrappy. That's what she's here for. And that's all it took. So for whatever amount of time it took for him to complete his treatment, we were there. And we finished up with him. His mom came up and hugged and kissed both of us. <clears throat> but then we walked outside and the nurse was in tears. And she said, thank you. And I said, why are you upset? And she said, because every time I go into that room, he thinks something bad is going to happen. And by having Scrappy there, it circumvented that. And it made him feel a little bit better and reassured that he was okay, that things were not always going to be bad whenever the nurse came in. So that's one that's always going to stick with me. There's another one that I never witnessed. And on this particular day, um, they knew that the nurses knew that we were coming. And they asked if we would go to a particular area of the hospital that we never went to. Very rarely did we ever go to this, this particular floor. And the nurse met us at the door. It was a secured area. And she goes, we have a very unfortunate situation where a very young child uh, was molested by her father. And she goes, we cannot get her to calm down. She said, there are seven female nurses in the room with her trying to calm her down. And we just can't do it. But we think Scrappy might. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So she said, you can't be there. Is it okay if I take Scrappy in the room alone hmm. i said absolutely she goes we cannot have you say anything we don't want her to hear a male's voice and we certainly do not want her to see a male i said i get it i understand so i just stayed completely out of sight far away from everybody and she came back a few minutes later and she was in tears and she said scrappy did the trick she goes, as soon as we walked in holding Scrappy, she wanted to touch her. And as soon as she touched her, she began to calm down a little bit and began to understand that things were okay and that these female nurses were there to protect her and to make sure that nothing was going to happen to her. So those are the two stories that I hope for anyone listening that gets involved with pet therapy will be the anomaly. I hope no one ever has to experience that. But those are the kind of things that pet therapy is designed to do and to make a situation a little bit more manageable. It's an incredible story there, Larry. Captivated by it. 
you know, the, the power of the pet, it's even without a pet who is trained, you know, as a dog owner, you're coming in sad or happy and your dog, he or she yeah. is waiting. Unconditional love all of the time. You know, tell me how your life has changed since Scrappy has not been here. What is different about you now? You know, it's it's just opened up. You know, again, I, I miss her uh, tremendously, but there are have been incredible opportunities to meet people all over the world. You know, I've done podcasts and interviews from London to New Zealand. And so it's just a great opportunity to see where other people are and where they stand when it comes to pet therapy and their relationship with their animals. So that's been amazing. Um, the opportunity to realize a potential new business opportunity in Delta Omega Gamma and to meet and understand the administrators uh, who have to deal with all the issues on college campuses, but then to speak individually with the students and understand where they're coming from and why pet therapy is so important. You know, one of the, I was saying earlier in the show about research and the fact that research became such a very important aspect for me moving forward with regards to the book. And one of the things that I found was that um, pet therapy is desired by 97% of all college students. They want it. And it's there for a variety of reasons. They may want it because they miss their own pet. Uh, but whatever the case is, this is a program that is really inherently perfect for college campuses. It just hasn't been presented and promoted in the right way necessarily. And so I hope I have found a way to present that, to make it feasible, and then ultimately to make it happen. Friend, what are some of the areas that you've covered as far as campuses? What are, what are some of the places that you want to cover? Right now, currently, I know you're in Tennessee, but where are some of the campuses that you're eager to start working with and you have not? Well, there, I, I want to do them all, um, you know, anyone that's interested. But I mean, just this week alone, I have basically gone up a corridor from Tennessee, East Tennessee, where I live, all the way up to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I have spoken with Villanova, James Madison, Washington and Lee, Westchester University. Um, I was introduced to people at St. Joseph's. Um, I've got an opportunity at Widener University. So that's just in one week. And really, for me, the challenge is just finding that right person. You know, universities are big organizations. And so it just takes time and effort to try to find that right person at the right time um, who completely understands what we're trying to do. You do a lot of traveling. What what do you do for self-care? Like, how do you take care of yourself, friend? Well, I spend time with my new puppy. I'm, you know, I spend a lot of time with her. She's with me now somewhere, chewing up something. And, um, but she's only three and a half months old. I've had her for a month and a half. Mm -hmm. Her name is Angel. And I want her to become a pet therapy dog as well. Mm -hmm. 
So we spend a, all of our time together and, you know, I work at home. So she's with me there. We travel together. Um, she's been in elevator for the first time today, stayed in a hotel for the first time today. So she's getting all those new experiences that were just so wonderful to have with Scrappy. And I just want to continue that and see if she can actually graduate to be a pet therapy dog as well. That's a great story. And I have my little pet here as well. She's back here. I can bring her, but she needs a lot of training. That's a separate show altogether. <laughs> what do you want people to learn about in your book? What is it something that you really want them to take away? What, what I hope they will understand is the impact, the positive impact that animals can have on our lives. Um, you know, Scrappy just did so much being a pet therapy dog, visiting with the nurses, the doctors, the patients, and the patient's families, and just putting them at ease. I want people to understand that there's a, an opportunity through pet therapy that they can explore to make their own form of philanthropy. You know, I talk with pet therapy organizations and the typical approach is our volunteers or our team members. No problem with that. I want to elevate it. I want to elevate it to philanthropists because at the end of the day, a philanthropist has the opportunity to provide benefit to others. There's my dog. <laughs> and so that's what pet therapy is as well. Pet therapy is philanthropy because you're providing a benefit to someone else to make them feel better about themselves. And the asset versus a check is your dog. Your dog is your asset. And so that's what I really hope to allow people the opportunity to contemplate and to think about. Because again, my mission is to go from 50,000 to 200,000 certified pet therapy teams in the United States. And here's another statistic for you. There's 69 million dog households in the United States. 69 million. If we take one-tenth of 1%, one that's 200,000. We need one-tenth of 1% of those 69 million dog households to consider their dog to be part of a pet therapy team. And trust me, it's not the dog. The dog does not need convincing. It's the humans. And so that's really the struggle is to try to convince enough people that you do have the time. It's not as difficult to be a pet therapy team as you think and this is the best philanthropic gift that you could ever provide because it's tangible. You see the result immediately. You can feel it. You can see it. You can hear it. And from a philanthropic perspective, it does not get any better. Just in the two stories you shared earlier, and I was thinking about Sometimes when you go in to a place of crises, a place of need, many times I also avoid not looking at referrals and, and try to predispose what 
a a child and adult is dealing with because I find that it takes me from a place of not being pure and looking at things from that aspect. You know, is there a time frame around when dogs can continue to do this or how old can a pup be to get started with this? And what are the breeds that, that people are really using to do this? Yeah, great question. The, the first one is age. You know, your dog needs to be at least a year old to be certified. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do the training in advance. The dog needs to be a year old to be certified for pet therapy. As far as breeds are concerned, it doesn't make any difference at all. The one thing that I always stress to people considering it, uh, pet therapy, is to ask them personally, do you like to help people? Is that part of your passion? And then I ask, do you like your dog? And they always say, well, yeah, I love my dog. Well, then other people may love your dog too. You just have to give them the opportunity. And so from that perspective, I don't care what the breed is. There are certain breeds that may be more intimidating than others, but at the end of the day, if they are raised properly, trained properly, they're going to be beautiful dogs and they're going to perform the job perfectly. Um, the most common pet therapy dog is probably, you know, a golden retriever or Labrador something of that type. Scrappy was a toy poodle chihuahua mix. That was it. You know, how do you come up with that? It was a pure, mm -hmm. pure accident. Angel is a chihuahua dachshund mix, a chihuahua. So uh, she's got a lot of work to do. But again, she's very young. She's only three and a half months. But she's going to get there. She loves people. I've never seen a dog with so much passion for humans at such a young age as, as Angel. It is unbelievable. I can't go down the street on a walk with her without someone stopping. And, and she just goes nuts. I mean, she just she rolls over. And her little feet are just flapping, you know, like a sheet in the wind. But she just loves people. And that's what a great pet therapy dog will be. Well, I can say that Angel's probably got it from her owner because you're a great man running around this world, saving people and their emotional needs, ensuring that everyone has that care. So we're, we're super lucky to have you. If, if there's any way that you can share that information of how to become would love to put this on our website and help spread that word. And then particularly the people who do visit us can get this information. So I think it is so beautiful. I know you talk about the blueprint. What What is the strategies that, that you can share? Well, I think it, it really starts with education. I think a lot of people have a misconception of what pet therapy is. They think that just walking around with a dog and allowing someone to pet it is pet therapy. And that's just not the case. I think people get it confused with emotional support dogs and service dogs. Mm -hmm. So education about what pet therapy is and the requirements for pet therapy is first and foremost. Um, and then I also relay that as to how it compares to emotional support and service dogs. So with pet therapy, it's all about the love. You know, the, the training for 
pet therapy is not that challenging. You just have to put in the time with your dog. It's basic obedience. Sit, stay, hum. Um, be allowed to be petted all over your body, face, ears, toes, tails, those types of things. There's some other oddities, like one of them we call leave it. And for leave it, what we do is we put a hot dog on the floor. And the requirement is you walk within a few feet of that hot dog, and we want your dog just to go right past it. We do not want them to lunge for it. We certainly don't want them to eat it. And so the reason for that is depending on the environment where you are, um, you never know what's on the floor. So it could be a pill. It could be a fluid of some sort, some type of medicine or bodily fluid. And you certainly don't want your dog to eat or lick any of that. So that's the reason behind uh, leave it. But it's really, again, it's just a lot of basic training nothing that anyone cannot do they just have to have the willing aspect to do it you know you go around campuses and there are many pranksters and things like that is that leave it part of that where you're trying to make sure that no one is potentially you know making jokes or or have you had to deal with something like that in the middle of a show or presentation i have not had to deal with that and hope i never do what when I teach people about pet therapy, one of the things that I stress is that you're in control. This is your environment. Um, it's your dog. You must control the environment with your dog. So if a situation occurs that you're not comfortable with, you either ask that person to stop or do it a different way, or you leave. Exit the situation. Do not allow that to happen to your dog. And so these are situations that um, the handler must understand. They're the one in control of the entire situation. Fortunately, we've never had to deal with that. Um, sometimes when I talk about uh, having pet therapy on college campuses, they'll say, you know, I think fraternity would be a great place. I'm not so sure it would. I know what fraternities were like when I was in school. And I don't know that I would want my dog in a fraternity. So again, I think that just goes to the lack of understanding of exactly what pet therapy is. And the fact that when you engage in pet therapy, it's a controlled environment. It's a controlled event. You're not just going to have dogs running wild. These are dogs on a leash. They are trained to sit, they're trained to stay, and they're there to be loved on, to be petted. And in return, they're going to give their love and affection back to you. Only we, the dog lovers, can know this. I tell you, I, I can't even watch one of the commercials that they're saying donate to the ASPCA. <laughs> I can't even watch that. Channel comes on, on and I'm flicking. I, I yeah. cannot. So, so my thing for you, walk us through what a typical day of a presentation. So you and Angel are set up and now she's ready and, and, and you guys go, you have a presentation. Walk us through that day. Um, it, it can be in a variety of different situations. Again, it depends on what the environment is, but let's, let's just focus on college campuses, for example. Mm -hmm. What we would do is once the organization has been structured, 
they will set a time, place, and location. And it gets announced to the whole university. The, the teams, the pet therapy teams, simply go to those locations and just hang out and then allow everybody else to come and partake in that visitation. So there's not a lot that goes on other than just making sure that you stay in control of the situation, your dog stays in control, and that anyone participating in that activity is not getting out of hand. So that's really what it comes down to. Uh, when we were in the children's hospital with Scrappy, um, we had a list of the room numbers and we would knock on the door, ask if they wanted a visit from Scrappy. And 99% of the time they all said yes. And we just simply walk in and Scrappy was small enough that she would fit on my forearm. She'd put her butt in my elbow, all four paws in the palm of my hand, and I'd carry her in. And they would just reach up and start petting on her. And if you want to get a sense, you were talking about commercials. If you want to get an understanding of the impact that pet therapy can have, because Scrappy and I experienced it every single time we went to the hospital, there was a dog. And in this commercial, it showed a young girl in a hospital bed with her mother sitting next to her. And then it, the screen changes to a nurse at the door and the young girl says, I know more treatment. She's got her arm sticking out. And the nurse says, no, we're gonna try something different this time. And in walks a dog. And the girl in the bed goes, oh, she just melts. That is exactly what happens. Every single time Scrappy and I entered a room at the children's hospital. The, the tenseness that is in the room dissipates immediately. And the same thing happens on a college campus or wherever you are. Whatever might be going on goes away. It simply dis disappears. And that's how pet therapy can positively impact individuals regardless of what's going on in their life for that particular day. You've been doing this work for years. And my question for you is, you know, trends, what are you seeing that's now going a specific way? Because I know you talked about the regular obedience. Um, are there tricks now? Is there something else that you can rely on when kids are struggling or maybe adults? Well, you know, there. I don't know if there's tricks so much. I mean, the biggest issue is very simple. The demand is greater than the supply. Hmm. And that's just the reality. Um, you know, if, if I have someone running an organization that says, if I had 1,300 team members, I still wouldn't have enough, there's a major problem. Because what's happening is people are beginning to understand the value of pet therapy and they want it everywhere. They want it in kindergarten, elementary, high school. They want it in nursing homes, the hospitals, courtrooms. Wherever there is a congregation of people where tensions might be high, there's a need for pet therapy. And that's what people are beginning to realize. And so they're reaching out to all these pet therapy organizations and they're just being pulled in a hundred different directions. So, that's the major issue that pet therapy must deal with. That's 
the challenge that I want to try to tackle. But from a pet therapy perspective, the training really is not going to change too much going forward. Um, if anything, what's happening is more animals are actually getting involved. Rabbits, turtles, ferrets, guinea pigs. A dear friend of mine loves to bring miniature donkeys to the nursing homes. So now become an equine. Now it becomes a matter of how do you incorporate all of these different types of animals with all these different therapy abilities under one umbrella? Or do you put it under one umbrella? There's got to be some rules and regulations involved. And that's where I see the next phase of my involvement occurring is to be able to organize a national structure that will incorporate all of this under one big umbrella. So everybody understands what the rules of the game should be and how do you enforce it and how do you keep it engaged? You know, Larry, you had me there when you said a dear friend of mine. I was like, okay, now this is big. This is bigger than what I thought it was. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so as far as your plans, friend, I know that you have a landscape now. You're rejuvenated. What are the plans for you and Angel? How, how do you see this playing out for yourself and for your new companion? Well... If I can get her to come over here, come here. I'll introduce her to everyone. See, there's two of my commands already. So far, so good. Almost. Oh. So this is Angel. She She's the Chewini. So as I look around my room, while we've been talking, she's been destroyed. Chewing. So that's one thing we've got to overcome is the mouth. She's a very chewy mouth. And um, so we've got to control that. The other phase for her is she's a jumper. Mm -hmm. She loves, I mean, you can be petting her and she'll start jumping up in your face. And so that's not allowed. So there's certain things I already know that I have to work on with her to overcome her enthusiasm. I don't want her not to be enthusiastic, but I must be able to control that enthusiasm. And so that's what we're going to be working on going forward. Like I said she's only three and a half months. She's got another, you know, eight and a half months left before we could even begin the certification process. And the reality, Jules, not every dog is qualified to be a pet therapy dog. You know, again, this isn't for everybody and it's not for all dogs. But in my opinion, the majority of dogs out there would just be phenomenal pet therapy um, participants. My concern is not the dog is getting the humans involved to get them understand what the program is and, and how they can participate in it as well. You know, I and this is probably just a silly question, but for me, I'm thinking, you know, here you are, your dog, these dogs that are providing these services at these schools. Is there such thing as burnout for them, you know, given too much therapy? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, it, that's a great point and a great question. The answer is yes. 
The typical pet therapy situation is no more than an hour. Because what you're going to find is that when you get your dog home, they're exhausted, absolutely exhausted. Somehow, dogs sense the tension, they sense the anxiety, and they figure out a way to kind of take that away from us. But in the meantime, they also realize that they're kind of absorbing some of that themselves. So they become very tired animals. You know, Scrappy and I would come home from pet therapy and she would immediately go to the blanket in the sun and lie down and take a two hour nap. And so I, I don't expect that to be any different for this creature. You know, once I get her through and get her to calm down a little bit, but um, that's a great question and a, and a great um, issue that everybody needs to understand. You know, the work that you're doing, Larry, it just goes beyond because a lot of times when people, like you said, there's all type of ways to describe service dogs and, and pets that do work in certain areas. But this pet therapy to me is something that kind of is a holistic thing where the pet is able to come in and like put out a crisis in all type of levels. And I'm noticing that a lot of this work may be applicable, even though that you're practicing this on pets. Is there something that you can say correlates to how your time in the field has said, you know what, this is something that humans can particularly try and probably not the, the, the uh, commands that we're talking about, but maybe something around, is there something that humans can take from what your work is um, providing? Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I talk about, you know, when I speak on college campuses, having those four empty chairs on the stage. Mm. And I think what the dogs have the ability to not discriminate. Why can't we do that ourselves? I think one of the things I, I wrote about in the book was too often we see people who have accomplished something significant get knocked down you know other people in the community will downgrade their achievements and we need to start celebrating success instead of trying to degrade what someone has accomplished and so i think there's just things that we can look at through the lessons that i write about from that scrappy taught me to even just how dogs interact with each other i mean you put two or three dogs together and, you know, it's the same kind of situation. 90% of the time, they're going to play. They're going to have a great time. They're not going to fight. They're not going to argue. They're just going to roll around and run and chase each other and have a great time. So why can't we do that ourselves? So I think there's a lot of things that if we just take the time ourselves to be observant and to realize what's going on around us, we can make not only our current situation better, but then hopefully make someone else's situation a little better at the same time. Friend, at this point, I just want to give you the floor. What do you want our listeners to remember you about Angel Scrappy? Tell us what you want them to remember about you, my friend, and your great work. I want people to understand 
just how positive and how powerful pet therapy can be. It's truly amazing. And if you have any doubts or any questions, whether you have a dog or not, take the time and call a hospital and see if they offer pet therapy and just see if you're allowed to observe it. Go to a nursing home and see if they are offering pet therapy and see if they would permit you to observe it. And if you don't realize the positive impact that these animals have on young and old alike, it's just amazing. You're going to walk away touched. And you're going to walk away, hopefully, telling yourself, I want to be part of that. And so that's my message. If I could leave anything with anyone, I want them to understand the significance of pet therapy, the positive impact it's going to have on everybody's life. But here's the other secret, Jules. It's going to impact your life as well. As the handler, as the owner of that animal, you're going to be a better person and you're going to feel so much better about what you just did for someone else. Thank you, friend. This was another amazing show. And let's try to listen to some of the words that Larry blessed us with. You know, too often we get knocked down. And like in this platform, we get overlooked because our plight is about people not paying attention to those four chairs where everyone is thinking about, this is someone I don't know, I don't trust. But that diversity, that first time that they connect, that's what this platform is about. We no longer will be overlooked. We won't be overturned because our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who's been overlooked. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when you unite. Please remember to listen out for a new He's Just a Social Worker show coming your way to your town very soon. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you more than just at He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa, this is dedicated to you, Mom. Miss you so much. En memoria de mi madre, Matilde De La Rosa, esto va dedicado a ti, Mamá. Te extraño mucho.